Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. All scripture is God-breathed. This is what it says in 2 Timothy 3:16 through 17. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture's God-breathed. It's more than inspired. It's more than a spiritual book. It's God's breath on every page. When I speak to you, my words come out of my mouth on my breath. When God speaks to you, his words come out of his mouth, and the breath falls on every book and then on every page of the word. Second Timothy tells us, and he makes it clear that God's breath is on every page. Different authors wrote different books of the Bible, and they did so over hundreds and hundreds of years. The result is not a hodgepodge of different perspectives. The Bible tells one central story, and that is this. God loves you. He's been pursuing you through Jesus, and that is the story of the scripture. How is it possible that the Spirit would speak through all of these different authors and with all of these different voices, but there would still be one voice? That's because the work of the Spirit, it doesn't eradicate the personality, but it unifies the message. The Bible is a miracle. It's a miracle that you can hold in your hands. And it's God's breath on every page. I want you to see that scripture's relational. And you can see that through the letter of 2 Timothy and the fact that Paul is writing this to his disciple. I'm going to read to you from 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly my prayers night and day. I remember your tears. I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Paul had a relationship with scripture. He wrote 13 books of the Bible, so that's a pretty good relationship with Scripture. Paul was Timothy's discipler, and Paul was his mentor, his coach, and his overseer. Timothy was Paul's travel companion, his second-in-command, and he became the pastor of the Ephesian church after Paul left. These two men have a great relationship, but in this point that we're talking about today, the relationship strained and stretched, 
because Paul's in prison. And Paul's about to die, and he knows it. And Timothy's stretched because there's a lot of problems going on right now in the Ephesian church. And the problem is that there's false teaching, and they're uh, kind of downplaying and not recognizing Timothy's leadership because he's young. So Paul writes this letter to the one he loves. And he's a prisoner in Rome. All of his friends are, have left except Luke. And t uh, Paul is just in this dark, dire place. And as he's there, he's thinking, what can I say to Timothy? He's got his uh, mentee in his mind, even as, in, as he's facing his own death. So when Paul writes to Timothy, he's telling him, I want you, this is what he says, the things from God that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, now pass on that teaching to other reliable men and women who will also be qualified to teach others what they have learned. See, he's concerned for Timothy. He's concerned for the gospel to advance. And to Paul, the gospel and the scriptures are the same thing. It's the story of God advancing through Jesus Christ. So Paul says, you've got to give this teaching to someone else, Timothy. The word of God has to advance. What I've given to you, you give to others. And give it to them and make sure they're reliable to then give it to others. Because scripture's relational. It doesn't stop with one person. So Paul's in chains, but the word of God, he's making clear to Timothy, it'll still advance. Even though he's suffering for his faith, he's saying the gospel must move forward. And he says this later in the book, I'm in prison because I preach the good news. I am suffering now, and I have been chained like a criminal, but the word of God cannot be chained. That's Paul's relationship with Scripture. Now we have Timothy's. Timothy, his grandmother came to Christ, and then his mother followed and came to Christ, and they taught the Scriptures to Timothy since he was a young boy. This prepared him spiritually for the gospel. So when Paul comes to town on his first missionary journey, Timothy accepts Christ. Then when Paul comes back on his second missionary journey, Timothy follows Paul into the ministry. See, Timothy had a relationship with Scripture, and it led him to minister alongside Paul for the advance of the gospel. Now I want to tell you about my relationship with Scripture. I didn't grow up in a home where I heard the Bible read much. In fact, the only time I remember hearing the Bible read was at Christmas. We would open to Luke 2, sit, at the Christmas, sit around the Christmas tree, and read the story about uh, how Jesus was born. Even in church, I went to a mainline denominational church. I didn't hear much of scripture. In fact, my Sunday school teacher, when I was 15, gave me my first Bible. It was a green living Bible. And I can remember telling our Sunday school class, all you need to do is reach God. It doesn't matter how you get to the top of that mountain. All that it matters is that you get there. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not the gospel. That is not what Paul entrusted to Timothy. 
And even though this dear woman gave me my first Bible, she couldn't tell me about the person who was in that Bible. When I was a 19-year-old and in college, I walked into a New Testament class in a secular university. And my professor was a world-renowned New Testament scholar. The first day I walked into the class, he began speaking from the book of Mark. And I can remember that day because he said, if you follow Christ, you got to take up your cross and you have to follow him. I was just so amazed in a university that someone would teach the scriptures. And from that day forward, I have loved reading the Bible. Dr. Lane became my pastor. When Mike and I got married, he performed our ceremony. That's how my love of scripture started. Remember, I told you scripture's relational. Paul had a scripture with, had a relationship with scripture. Timothy had a relationship with scripture. I have a relationship with scripture, and I want to know what is your relationship with scripture. Because it's relational. Paul's told us you need to read it, you need to love it, you need to pass it on to someone else. So I have an illustration to kind of explain that. When Mike and I were dating, we dated long distance. He lived in Mississippi and I lived in Kentucky. So it was a long way, so we made a lot of phone calls. And we were dating in the late 70s. And um, one day while we were talking on the phone, the operator interrupted our phone call. <laughs> Remember, there were no cell phones at that time. And she interrupted the phone call and said, you owe $300 on your phone bill, and we refuse to let you talk until this bill is paid. So we had to scrounge up all the money we could find so that we could keep talking to each other. So you might would have asked me back then, why do you spend all your money on those phone calls? You must really love your phone. And my response would have been, no, you're crazy. I don't love the phone that much. I love Mike. <laughs> but my phone allows me to hear his voice. Now let's change the question. Why do you read your Bible? It might feel funny to say, I love my Bible. But the proper response would be, no, I love Jesus. And on every page of that Bible, I hear him speak. <laughs> Scripture is God-breathed. There's a Greek word, and it's theonoustos. Mike told me that I, re I uh, said it wrong, but he won't give me the correct, <laughs> correct way to say it, so you can consult with him afterwards. This word occurs only here in the New Testament, and scholars can't find it anywhere else in Greek literature. It's a compound Greek word. Theos means God, noustos means breathe. So the word of God is God breathes. Now some translations say the word of God, it's inspired. But the word is actually breathe, it means expire, to breathe out. Inspire is to breathe in. And you can ask me, well, Lisa, why is that such a big deal? Well, something that's inspired can be Mozart writing a symphony. Something inspired can be the Mona Lisa, that great painting. 
But only that which is expired from the breath of God is a miracle in your hands. See, only he is the author. He's the only source. There's no other inspiration except God himself. So most of you know that I had cancer surgery a little over a year, about a year and three months ago. And the result of major surgery is often that you have difficulty breathing and you need to have oxygen assistance. So here you are after surgery, you know, you're tired, you're sleepy, you're drugged up, and they wake you morning, noon, and night to check your vital signs. And the most important vital sign is your breath, your oxygen. And so if you can't breathe on your own, they give you oxygen assistance. When we come to Christ, something radical happens. A spiritual surgery takes place. We are moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and we need oxygen assistance as a result. We live in this kingdom of darkness, but we are still citizens of kingdom of light, so we need the oxygen assistance from the Lord to breathe in this kingdom. Now, if we only lived in the kingdom of darkness, we could do okay just breathing this air, but it would be the air of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And besides that, those who breathe that air are eventually going to die. But when we live as people who are of the kingdom of light here, we need oxygen assistance until we go home to be in heaven. We need assistance. And this is what Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed. It's profitable. It contains God's breath on every page. So I've set up a little diagram for you. I have my Bible. Can you all see it over there? Okay. And I have an oxygen mask attached to it, right? Because it's God's breath on every page, right? So every time I read the Word of God, what am I doing? Breathing in. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Breathe. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Breathe. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. All scripture is God-breathed. So to live in this world, I constantly need oxygen assistance. We need God's breath to fight the world, the flesh, and the devil. So Charles Spurgeon once was asked, what's more important, the Bible or praying? And Spurgeon answered the question by asking a question. What's more important, breathing in or breathing out? (laughs) Reading the Bible is crucial to our spiritual life just like breathing is to our physical life. Every day we need the discipline of breathing in and breathing out.
So scripture then, I want you to think about it, that it revives our soul. That's what it says in Psalm 19.7. The law of God is perfect, reviving the soul. The word for revive there, it springs to life. And the word for soul is breath. So God's law is perfect, giving me life through his breath. It means God's word causes my life to return to me with his breath. So this picture you can see throughout the Old Testament. Remember when Adam and Eve were formed? And God formed Adam out of the clay, and he was just a lump of clay formed to look like a man to what? Till God breathed on him. That pattern continues in the Old Testament. We see it in Psalm 119.25. That verse says, I'm laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. In Genesis, dust is a picture of lifelessness, a picture of death. It's a soul that's laid so low that the person is emotionally wrung out, close to death. But God breathes life through his God-breathed word. In Ezekiel, you remember this picture? The prophet's shown a valley of dry bones that represents spiritually dead people. And Ezekiel's told, prophesy to those bones. And he says, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And as a result, the bones come together, flesh appears, skin covers them. It's a demonstration of the power of God, but it's not enough because we haven't seen the breath yet. So these bodies are just lifeless forms. They're like a valley of zombies. Then Ezekiel's told, prophesy to the breath. And Ezekiel said, so I prophesied as he commanded me. And breath entered them, and they came to life, and they stood up on their feet, a vast army. Only when God's word goes forth with his breath do dead things come alive. God's word is intimate. God's word is his breath. Breath means you have to be close to feel it. You see, lovers, when they embrace each other, can feel each other's breath. A mom, when she's rocking her child in the middle of the night, she can feel that child's breath. My son, who's six foot three, who likes to remind me that I'm five foot nine, kisses me on my forehead, and I can feel his breath. Breath means we're close. Breath means we're intimate. Breath is our God who's speaking, who's saying in every word that he loves us. Because God speaks, and his word is a miracle. And it's his breath that I can hold in my hand. All scripture is profitable. It's useful. That means that we should expect God to refresh our souls. We should expect him to make us wise. He gives us joy in our heart, light to our eyes. He warns us of sin. He exposes our hearts. He sets us free. He leads us to grow up and be mature all through his word. The Greek word for profitable is ophelimos. Did I get that one right, Mike? It's used by Paul to compare physical training with godly training. And Paul's saying that's profitable. God breathed scripture for a purpose, to teach us, to 
to rebuke us, to correct us, and to train us. So when he teaches us, he says, all scripture is good for teaching. He does it so that, because he desires through his word to instruct us, renew our minds, clarify our wrong thinking, replace lies and half-truths with God's truth. And through all of this, he transforms us to be more and more like his son. Then he rebukes us. God's breath is on a rebuke. And he rebukes us, and the word is the, is the idea like he shines his light into the darkness. And that what is in dark gets exposed. And uh, it's the idea that when scripture is preached or read, then something gets revealed. The goal of conviction or a rebuke is for you to recognize your wrongdoing and to get right with God. You see, Scripture is a mirror. We have to look at it. We have to let the light shine into it. And we have to let the dark things be exposed. All scriptures good for correction. Correction is like a ruler because a ruler shows you where you're crooked and a ruler shows you what straight looks like. It means to straighten up again. It means to be restored. It means to come back to the original or proper condition. It would even be used when an arm was broken and set and then uh, it's straightened again. That's the idea of correction. Now, my daughter's here today. Hi, Anna. So when she was young, she had, her teeth weren't straight. She had a gap in her teeth, and she longed for the day she would get braces. So that was kind of funny. And then she got them, she was about 10, no, how old were you, 11? She wore them about two years, but every night with her braces, we would have to crank them. And the idea was we were making them tighter and tighter so that the teeth could become straight. And so sometimes the uh, orthodontist would say, crank them three times this, this month. And then sometimes he would say, no, this month crank them four times every night. See, that's what the word of God does. See, he's cranking and he's straightening and he's realigning. The word of God realigns that which is out of alignment. The Word of God is our spiritual Invisalign because it makes what is crooked straight. The next is training. This is the word for child rearing. It can talk about the firmness that's needed and the discipline that's needed to raise a child, but also the gentleness and the tenderness. Training is appropriate because we are children to God. And we need to grow up into maturity. And the thing that leads us there is this book. Training can be done in a classroom in an hour. I mean, I'm sorry, excuse me. Teaching can be done in a classroom in an hour, but training takes years so that your senses respond correctly. Training involves repeatedly hearing and studying the words so that you eventually your spiritual reflexes begin to respond properly to what the word teaches. Then you are taught and not, and you've also been trained. I just really messed that up, didn't I? <laughs> but it's on the screen, so you got it. All right, so 
Now I want to tell you about another story about Mike and I. I'm telling lots of stories about when we were young. This one is about when we were engaged. Now, when Mike and I were engaged, one night he told me, Lisa, I just want you to sit at my feet while I expound scripture. And I thought, surely I didn't hear him right. So I said, tell me that again. He said, I would like it if when we're married, you sit at my feet while I expound scripture. And I thought, I'm not going to do that. So fast forward about 17, 18 years. Mike and I are married, and we're in this powerful meeting. We're at the College of Prayer, and the evening service, we can feel the Spirit of God coming heavy. And we're getting ready to take communion. And earlier that day, Mike and I had been talking to some of our mentors. Now, uh, I was talking to Raiden Gesswine. She's a Norwegian woman who was like 85 at that time. Her husband, Armin, had been Mike's and my mentor. And Armin was 90. So I'm talking to Raiden, and we look across the room, and our cute little husbands are talking. I once told Mike I wanted him to look like Armin, guess why, when he got to be 90. And so they're talking, and Raiden says, aren't we glad that we have a godly husbands? Aren't we thankful for who God gave us to be husbands? And conviction started to drop on me. Well, by the time then that we're getting to the, uh, to the service at that night, I'm really struggling. And this passage was read from 1 Corinthians. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So I'm examining myself, and I'm getting convicted. I'm getting rebuked. God's telling me, why have you been unwilling to sit at your husband's feet and learn the scripture. He's been your pastor now for 17 years. You mean you haven't been willing to hear the word from him? God corrected me and told me, you need to go across the room and you need to confess to your husband that this has been sin and you need to make this right. You need to realign yourself. So I went across the room, I sat at his feet. He really liked that part. <laughs> And I confessed my sin. And God told me, now I can really begin to train you. Now I can really begin to take you where you need to go in spiritual maturity. See, scripture can transform us if we let it. And Paul, when he was sitting in prison, he's thinking about Timothy, the one who he disciples. And he's thinking, Lord, what word can transform Timothy? Timothy's struggling with problems in the church. Timothy's worried because he's so young. And so he's just thinking, Lord, what is the word I can give him? What's the word that can sustain him and challenge him? And this is what he wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit. For God has not given you, Timothy, a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. That's good, right? God has not given you a spirit of fear, Timothy, but power and love and a sound mind. 
God's breath is all over that word. And just as it was profitable for Timothy, it's still profitable for us today because God's word's living, it's active, and it has his breath all over it. See, God didn't give fear to Timothy. The word for fear here, it's like the kind of fear you feel in a battle. It's when you have terror, when you have to face something that's so much bigger than you. It's like cowardice. It's an appropriate word for the letter and for the time with what Paul and Timothy are facing. And just like Paul's word resonated for Timothy, it resonates for us. Because God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. He's given us power, love, and a sound mind. It's like a check that God writes to us, and we can put it in the bank. We already have power, love, and sound mind. We already have been told fear is not who we are. What we have to learn is how do we cash that check? Uh, sometimes I've been known to like leave a check sitting on my dresser for three months. Have you ever done that? <laughs> Only me. <laughs> I'm just suggesting to you we can't leave these kind of checks laying on our desk. Any weakness on our part or Timothy's part is just us not cashing the check because the resources of God have already been promised to us. Timothy has to veil the power of love and discipline in order to face what he's having to face. He's got a difficult job and he has difficult circumstances, but what God promises is to do something, he enables you to do it. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. See, we, we got to breathe that in. God promises, and then he says, I promise to accomplish what I promised. So when Timothy is promised a sound mind, power, and love, that's a promise he can take to the bank. Because God's word always hits its target, and it always succeeds in its purposes. You have not been given a spirit of fear. You have been given power, love, and a sound mind. So let's take those points about how God's word is for teaching and correcting, and rebuke, and training, and let's just take it through that promise given to Timothy. We've been given the promise that we don't have to fear, but have power, love, and sound mind. So how many of us would be convicted that we sometimes have a spirit of fear? Fear's a big one. I know when I was struggling through cancer, I was struggling some with fear. And... Um, the worst was having to tell my mom, then telling my kids that I had cancer. I struggled with fear. Here's what I want you to know. When God rebukes you, when he convicts, you let him do his work. That's when the power's beginning. If you cut off the rebuke, if you cut off the conviction, you're cutting off the power of where he wants to take you. You can't cut it off. You've got to let him do it. Then what God's word corrects, See, when I was walking through cancer, I needed something to correct me. Cancer was, it was like when I focused on it, it tore me up. 
So God told me, look at Psalm 23. Look at your shepherd. Don't look at the cancer. See, when I looked at the shepherd, I could get my life back realigned. But when I looked at cancer, I got all twisted. So I would repeat Psalm 23 to myself over and over and over again. God's word teaches and it forms us. God breathed on Psalm 23. I, I would just like quote it every day to myself. And I can remember thinking that word says, I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I don't have to fear any evil because God's with me. And I felt the breath of God on those words and I heard him say, you may have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but you're not going to live there. It's just someplace you have to walk through. And then I heard him say, goodness and mercy are chasing after you. You know why that's so powerful? Cancer feels like it's chasing after you. It feels like it's in your future, but God's saying that's not it. Goodness and mercy are chasing after you all the days of your life. So I walked through Psalm 23 and I realized I can exchange my fear for the Holy Spirit. And I can take up the sound mind that I have and the love and the power. Here's the tools that we have against fear. Power enables us to overcome fear. Love motivates us to overcome fear. And a sound mind discerns how we overcome fear. Today, I need you to look at yourself and I need you to check your spiritual vital signs. Do you need some oxygen assistance? Today, God's word wants to come to you in a new way, in a fresh way. I want you to see that this is a miracle in your hand. It's God's breath is all over this. I want to motivate you. I want to inspire you to take up God's word and to see how profitable it is, to see how it can restore your life. So what I've decided to do is to end with this declaration. And I'm going to have you all stand up and, oops, stand up into it. And we're going to declare this together. Thank you. Isn't he handsome, my beautiful assistant? <laughs> All right, together. One, two, three. Scripture is God's breath on a page. It is a miracle that I can hold in my hands. I choose today to submit to the Word of God and let it teach me. I will let the light of God's word reveal my sin and rebuke me. I will let the correction of God's word realign the sinful places and straighten the broken places in me. I will submit to God's training of me as his child so that I might grow into spiritual maturity. I declare that all scripture is profitable to me. Now, if you will lift your hands out. God, we receive a new approach to your word. I ask that we will be motivated and change these eight weeks by your word. Lord, we release your Holy Spirit to breathe on us and to breathe afresh on us your word in Jesus' name. Amen.